Welcome back to OMACAST. This is the second part of a three-part discussion on how the Northern Ireland Troubles changed the cultural scene in OMA. Just let me put the two of you back over something that, that you, 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 you skipped over there. Tommy Maycomb, your uncle. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. our mother uh, is Tommy's sister, yeah. Right, OK. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, in our house, my, well, our grandmother particularly, she was what is known in folk music as a source singer. She knew hundreds upon hundreds of uh, traditional ballads, all of them very long. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, folk collectors from all over the world came to That's her right. house to, to, right. to, 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 to collect folk songs. One day, uh, myself and my mother were in her house back in the early 60s, maybe. And there was a, oh, she lived in Cayley County, Armagh. Yeah. And there was a man going around the house with a cine camera in those days. He was an American man. And he was filming, filming my grandmother. She would be singing and, you know, making tea and so forth. And this man's wife, I remember she was Oriental lady. And they, anyway, they left and I said to my grandmother, who's that man? And she goes, I'm not quite sure who that man is. He's some man your uncle Tommy told to call and visit me. But he left his card and me and my mother looked at the card, Pete Seeger. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> And, and, and those are the sort of people came to her house to collect songs. And then, of course, Tommy and my mum and all, they were all reared on that stuff. My mother played the fiddle and and sang, and well, Tommy sang. And then uh, he went to the States as an actor, and then he met the Clancy's there. And yes. The rest yes, is history, history, history yeah, yeah. you know. And, and a source, and a source is because Irish culture was, was handed, handed down Orally not written then. That's right. And, and so your granny would know this Absolutely. huge repository of songs. Sarah yes. Megan wrote nothing down. Uh, her, uh, her recording of, uh, what was the song that was used as the theme tune for the I BBC, as I wrote out, the BBC uh, weekly folk programme? Yeah, yes. there was a programme on the World Service every Sunday morning. And uh, uh, literally the World Service back in the 19, late 50s, it was all over the world. It was a, a programme of folk songs from the British Isles. And it was a whole collection of songs made during the 30s and 40s by a man called English man called Peter Kennedy, and Peter Kennedy would have travelled the length and breadth of the British Isles with Alan Lomax, another great American collector, taping people singing and so forth. And the BBC had amassed a huge archive of uh, traditional songs. So this programme was called As I Roofed Out every Sunday morning in the World Service and they used my granny's uh, song As I Roofed Out as the theme music for it for years. You know? A recording of it, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. And that was, th- there was a lot of traditional music played in, in your granny's. Obviously, y- your grandmother must have, m- must have been read on the... Oh, she, uh, yeah, she, her, her family, her mother's people had a big family group. They were called the Singing Greens of Katie. So all those songs were handed down literally for generations, you know, and we're sort of lucky that we inherited them as well. You and know? the amazing thing about people of, of, of your grandmother's generation and my grandmother's generation is that they reach back into a long way back. Yeah. My granny actually was newer. Uh, one of her elderly la- neighbours was a drummer boy at Waterloo. Yeah, and, she yeah, just, and, and you think, holy smoke. Yeah, yeah. You're reaching back in one conversation to 18, 15 or whatever it was. Well, history you go uh, back a few generations and you're back 100 yeah, but yeah, years. History's alive. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the songs my grandmother said, she would have sang songs about Waterloo, you know. Yes. The old, I mean, so many Irish men fought at Waterloo. Yeah, sure. My grandmother would have sang a lot of ballads about yes, Waterloo yes. and Napoleon Bonaparte yes, and all those yeah. songs, you know. But that was part of our growing up as well. You know, my, 
my father, how, how they actually met was a good story. My father, at the time, the, the county cinema in Oma was owned by a man called Noel Donaghy. But a lot of small towns in rural Ireland would have had no cinema. So Donaghy would send out uh, my father and another man with a projector and a mobile screen. Wow. And they would go into small rural villages and uh, parochial halls and show the latest films, you know. And they happened to be in Cady, County Armagh, one of these, uh, a Mahayakt, and my father met my mother there. But was it not the case too that the, there was some sort of a show being staged in the hall in Cady and they required an orchestra? And through that connection then, the guys from St. Eugene's Band went up and formed the orchestra for the show? That happened as well, but, mm-hmm. but, but I know that he, showed, he, he, he definitely showed films in, in, in the hall in Cady as well. But I, I also remember in the early days before the Troubles, if there was a show or a musical going on in, in, the, in the town hall, the orchestra or the band was always a live band, and local guys were always augmented by guys from the band from the military. You remember as well, I mean, we were reared beside St. Where St. Eugene's Band practiced was at the bottom of our street. It was known as the Labour Hall. It's now known as the Way Inn. Kevin Inn. Kevin Road. Kevin Road. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay. the, the Way Inn was a Labour Hall. And the reason it was a Labour Hall was the Gallows Hill in those days was full of working men, plasters, labourers, um, painters, carpenters, joiners, yeah. uh, tilers, and they all had union meetings once a week. So they all met in the Labour Hall. And then on a Sunday afternoon, the brass band practised there, you know. So we would hear the... We knew all the Sousa tunes, you know, when we were children, but hearing the brass band playing every Sunday afternoon for years and years. And, and who years. was taking the band at that stage? Was that Brian Turbot? No, was that before, before Brian? There was a man called Mick Hayes. Okay. Martin Myler. And Martin Myler and Frank McCrory. Frank McCrory, uh, a real Oma treasure, wrote songs, wrote pantomime scripts, wrote sketches, he wrote the famous song The Treacherous Ways of Loch Muck <laughs> Frank, fr- <laughs> Catching Minnows in the Killy Cloud Catching Minnows in the Killy Cloud Bella from Bo Magatol Peggy the Pride of the Plum he wrote all these songs for shows you know, but, fr- but Frank he was a real, I mean a brilliant man a brilliant classical musician and a, a great literary man, uh, as a matter of fact he'd be connected to Ben Kelly wouldn't he and Brian Collins. He would be, Ben Kelly would be married to a sister of Frank's. That's right. So Frank oh, sorry, sorry, Ben's sister was married, married to Frank, to Frank, Frank yeah. McCrory. So Frank would have been conducting the band, and he was followed by a man called Mick Hayes, who lived at the Bridges Terrace. Mick, I think, skin. had been an old sk- in the Skins. Yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd been in the Skins Army Band. You see, a lot of old sweats, you know. A lot of old sweats, you know, would have settled in Oma. Oma was a garrison town, as you know, and yes. a lot of the old guys who'd fought in WW2 would have came and settled here. Because in those days, I mean, even right up to our time, I mean, y- a lot of the young men did national service. And they came here to the barracks and would have married local girls. Yeah. And a lot of the guys who played in the bands, like Mike, our yeah. friend. Mike, and, 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 and so many of them. Chris Benson. Would, would, Chris Benson would have yes. all settled yes. in Oma, you know. Yes. So Frank's right. In those days, I mean, I remember being in the pantomimes myself in the early 70s, and half the orchestra was the guys from the, from, from the camp. And on a Sunday afternoon, the guys from the camp would come up and join St. Eugene's band, augment them for their rehearsals. And it was fantastic, you know. Yes. But yes. I remember in the youth club too, you know, the boxing club, the PTO from the camp used to come down to take the boxing club mm-hmm. on a I Tuesday and Thursday right, yeah. night mm-hmm. b- below St. Mary, the St. Mary's <coughs> Hall, below the Sacred Heart Chapel there. And I think that the, the boxing club in Oma 
must have been the best resourced boxing club in the country <laughs> because, because everything and anything we needed the boy from the camp brought it down no problem yes. punch balls ropes anything uh, you want exercise yeah. balls you know the whole thing we had it <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah. Okay. And another big influence in this town was the railway yes there was a huge influence in this town I mean, the railway from here to Dublin, here, in fact, our grandfather, the reason we are no more at all, our grandfather was from Derry, but he was a train driver in the GNR, the Great Northern Railway. He was transferred to him back in the 30s, and that's the reason why we are no more at all. Wow. You know? And so many people, like, this town's full of Donegal names, Breslin and Sharky, all those yes. names. They're all Donegal people who would have came here because of the railways, McLoon, McAloon, all those names. Okay. All people who came here. So you had this inflow. Oma was a cosmopolitan town in many ways because you had the, the army camp, you had the you had the railway. You know, so I mean, it was, it was a lot of outside influences in this town, which was a good positive thing. Yeah. yeah. Stevie McKenna used to tell a story to you about the fact that Brenton Boyer's father is buried in the cemetery in Oma. Apparently, he was a he was a travelling salesman. He was a travelling tenor. Travelling tenor. I met Brendan Boyer on a plane one night. I put it to him. He said to the seat, we were flying back on a Sunday night in the autumn in a very quiet plane from Atlanta to Dublin. He said, are you Brendan Boyer? He said, I am. I said, my, my name is Thomas Huney from Oma. Oh, you're from Oma? He says, do you know Pat Chester? He says, I do, blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, is it true that your, your, grandfather, uh, your, your grandfather is buried in Oma? He said, how did you know that? And the reason I knew was a certain undertaker told me. Right. And he had been a, a tenor. And he'd been doing a concert in the town hall. And whatever coins he had from this concert, he was walking up to the bank at the top of High Street to either bank them or change them into notes or whatever, yeah. and he dropped dead wow. on High Street wow. on High Street in Oma. Wow. And he's buried in the in the cemetery in Oma. Dublin Road. <laughs> what about then, Frank? We've talked a lot about the music. What about what, what about the drama and the uh, the, the, the scene? I mean, I, I, I now associate Oma with, with Carrickmore Festival, but I mean, I'm sure yeah, okay, yeah. that's there was well, stuff in Oma. Was the Oma the Players was formed in 1932, as far back as that, and uh, Paddy Mossy, uh, with whom we were very friendly, was one of the founder members, and from that on right through until uh, the advent of the Troubles, the Oma Players would have put on maybe two or three plays a year in the town hall. And the plays were usually kitchen, small kitchen comedies or Irish dramas by Irish writers and whatnot. And the usual run would be they would start on a Thursday night through to a Sunday night. And uh, the town hall would be bunged for all four nights of those productions. A lot of, I mean, one of the moving forces was a man called Paddy Bogues. You know, That's Bogues' right. jewellery shop. Mm-hmm. Paddy came from Belfast, but had a, a background in theatre in Belfast. And when he came down, they started the Oma Players. And uh, yeah, I mean, some I mean, some fabulous actors. Peter McGovern, God, what a great actor. Kathleen Given, Kathleen Sheffield. Paddy McAlunny. Paddy who went on to become quite a big name. You would have seen him in things like, uh, what do you call the one about the priest where he played the Irish doctor? Uh, oh, Bless Me Father. Bless Me Father. And he would appear in a lot of English soaps. He would appear at Coronation Street. So Paddy became very successful, um, both in New York and in London as an actor. But they were a very, very reputable company. I mean, Oma and Lifford That's right. were probably the two best amateur companies in this part of the world. And uh, I remember when I was a boy, I mean, even uh, back in the 50s, I mean, God, they were great. The plays were great, you know. 
and they were done in a shoestring, you know. But I remember the acting being particularly good. And was the the, the fact again something which I wouldn't have experienced growing up in the north of England, the drama festivals, the competitive drama festivals. Is, is that an Irish phenomenon? Do you think? Well, it, it is. It is yes, and uh, it it emerged. It, it, I suppose it emerged from the the whole Celtic revival of the early twentieth uh, uh, century. Uh, and and uh, developed, and that was one way of getting the social and political messages or, uh, across to to a wider community by going and putting on plays and whatnot, in in, in local local halls and travelling halls, and then the the whole uh, competitive drama scene probably would have started to emerge sometime in the mid to late fifties. Carrickmore Drama Festival was started in uh, nineteen sixty four. Uh, and it's been gone going ever since. I think it's only uh, missed two years uh, since. Uh, one year it was, I think, it was 1981, when the hunger strikes were at their height and things got very difficult, and people wouldn't travel. And the second one was 2001 with the foot and mouth disease when it had hit the couldn't the couldn't stage that yes. year. But every year's been going strong since. And they are associated to the Ulster Drama Festival League and the Amateur Drama League of Ireland. So it's a big movement right across the country. Uh, it probably is unique, Bob, in that you know amateur amateur theatre is huge in Ireland. I mean, huge, I mean, and a very very high standard. I mean, the All Ireland Finals are always held Athlone. in Athlone every year. I mean, the standard. I mean, RT broadcast some of the places a phenomenal standard. But I think that's due in a way too. I mean, Irish people, I think generally are given to storytelling. Yes, right. And to, you know, putting across stories through through words and uh, verbally. And I think drama and the Irish people connect very, very well, you know, even even amateur drama. Irish people are all storytellers anyway, I think. Yes. But three or four years ago, I, I was reading a statistic about it, that there was more people attended amateur drama uh, uh, events in Ireland than actually attended professional drama events. Mm-hmm. I think the figure I think the figure quoted was I think it was maybe about four or five years ago I read it in an article in the Irish Times yeah. there was something like 460,000 people had attended amateur drama events in Ireland in that particular year well you yes. take care of more it'd be seven nights packed nine nights nine nights Newton mm. Stewart packed Newton Stewart, Stewart. Yeah. Stavane Stavane Derry Enniskillen yes. they're all packed you know, yes. everywhere yeah. and, 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 and there are these small towns you know, like Newton Stewart, the Backburners drama group, but very high standard, little villages with great drama groups. You know. Then there was a lot of drama groups developed in Oma after that. The Oma player, the Oma players went went uh, dormant for about four years. I think they seventy three, seventy four was their last production. I think it was Paddy Laird did a production of a play called Sailor Beware, and then the troubles were starting to take effect, and there was nothing for about three or four years. Stevie McKenna then came back with a, a review type program in nine, in the autumn of 1977. It took off, and then it did three of those, I think. Did three of them, and then the Oma players then started to go on the on the uh, amateur drama festival circuit, and that's a very demanding thing, you know. It yeah. makes a big commitment, people. So then some people thought they weren't up to that. So various other groups began to develop by people who didn't want to do that and didn't want to invest in it but still wanted to be involved in drama. So you had a whole range of maybe five or six groups in this area at the minute. You've got the Drumra players and Harry McCartney used to run another group and then Stevie McKenna had the theatre workshop group. And Peter McLaughlin had the, the group uh, 
River Road, River Road Productions. productions. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have, you know, there's a whole range of different groups going at the minute. There's six or seven groups in Oma alone for yes. the amateur drama. You know, so. I mean, the, 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 the town hall, w- which predates the Struel Arts Centre, obviously, um, when I first came to Oma in 78, the, the town hall was definitely the centre of, of uh, cultural activity in Omer. Um But even at that point, it had no front. It had been blown up at it at some point. It, it was uh, the funny... From what yeah, and I, I, came. I always say that when they after the bomb, it looked like a French Foreign Legion fort. It did, <laughs> yes, it did. Interestingly, yes. about the town hall, it, it's it to me, uh, what speaks out for the status of the town hall is that it was bombed by both sides <laughs> at different times. <laughs> <laughs> the first bomb in the town hall was in '73. Do you remember the library used to be at the front of the building, and then the uh, the uh, there was toilets down below. You had to go downstairs to public okay. toilets, and the town was seven, office se- was there. That right? That's right. And seventy-three, uh, the council chamber used to be in there, and the council offices used to be in the town hall at the front. And seventy-three, I think the UVF planted a bomb in the toilets down below and blew out the whole front of the building. Okay. Then they put up this wall and whatnot, McKeon. And then in seventy-seven, the IRA planted a bomb across <laughs> the bank opposite, and they blew it. Uh, and uh, because of the age of the building and whatever way it was built it didn't it didn't move and despite their efforts uh, to blow it up when it came to develop the new art centre we had to have a contract and pay a contractor to demolish the building right <laughs> <laughs> only, <That's> in <laughs> only in Ireland only in Ireland you couldn't make it up right and they would have done it for nothing wouldn't they really? <laughs> no, no, of course you see the, uh, we ha- well, haven't mentioned one extremely important thing was face Chiroin okay the, the annual face in May every year the fish went on for maybe a week, eight days, and the town hall would be bunged from, from 10, sun, in 10 in the morning until like uh, 11 at 12 night. 12 or 11, 11 yeah. or 12 at night. And there would be competitions in music, in singing, in Irish language, in uh, uh, visual arts. Dancing, of course. There was dancing, uh, there was poetry, you know, and it was quite phenomenal. And then at the end of it, the week after it, then they'd have the fish prize winners concert, and it would be bunged too. And it would go on to all hours of the night. Yes. And I remember as well, when, when I was young myself and my brother used to appear in these concerts uh, once every five or six weeks at the town hall, ran by Cultus Cultori Ireland. That's right. In the town. And they would be packed. You see, the, I guess probably little television in those days or what. These shows might be on a Tuesday night, but they would be absolutely packed. And I remember them going on forever. That's right. I mean, they would start at 8 o'clock, <coughs> you'd get on stage at quarter past 12, yes. you know, and no one left. You know. yes. <laughs> I would have had experience with the Fermanagh Fesh with, with us at Michael's Bandit, and I quickly realised that the only the only slot to have in the in the Fesh winners' concert was the number one. <laughs> 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 because, again, like you, I've taken to stage with small boys about quarter past 12, I and the brass know. band all asleep in their chair. <laughs> Whenever we were only youngsters, you know, in primary school, maybe five or six, you'd have to learn a poem off by rote. Uh, the whole class and then all the other lads or girls and all the other classes would be learning the same poem and then on a, whatever day of the week it was at 10 o'clock in the morning you'd be tramped down to the town hall and you'd put up on stage competitor number one reciting whatever poem it was and then uh, two hours later competitor number 642 reciting yeah. the same poem yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was one time asked to adjudicate the first speaking 
the worst yeah. thing I ever agreed to yes. in my life. Harlan, <laughs> there were like 200 <coughs> children saying the same poem in exactly the same way. It's unbelievable, you know. But, but, but it was good because it gave young children absolutely. an opportunity to get on stage and does. perform, and still does, and it's yes. powerful for that. Yeah, I absolutely. remember we, talk, we, we talked earlier about, about the old concert parties. Well, one of the big things with the concert party was we were good. In those days, the Toronto Fremantle Mental Hospital was absolutely chock a block with both patients. It was a very, very vibrant place. Staff, oh, I mean, community out there. they have their own churches, their own church services. It was just a huge their thing. Own concert hall? Own concert hall. And we'd do a show <laughs> every Christmas there with the, with the, with the concert party. <laughs> and I remember one time, the late Paddy Gormley, God be good to him, saying to me and my brother, lads, tonight you are topping the bill. <laughs> we said, yes, <laughs> we have really made it. We're topping the bill at the TNF Christmas concert. <clears throat> so I guess there was tea but around nine o'clock or something. So uh, they all used to go for the tea at nine o'clock. We were announced at like 10 minutes to nine. You know, Guys, please welcome the Sweeney brothers. Says, Do 15 minutes, boys. So after about two songs, the entire audience got up and left. <laughs> tea time. I went for their tea. <laughs> We realised then why we were top of the bill. <laughs> well, my memory of the Fermanagh Fish, which I had got a bit of involvement, was of mistiming something going and sitting through, I think, 120 versions of Tim Whistle playing all through the night. That's right, yeah. yeah. And losing the will to live and thinking, thank goodness that's over. And then there was there was 37 recalls. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a labour of love that. It <laughs> but it's a great but, institution. The well, face. the face is still going, isn't it? Oh, it's still going yes. strong. It's, it's a Joseph Hall, you know. Yeah. 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 Yeah.